he asked me to fill in and his dad, we take, we team up to do this work and I was grateful. I'm not going to continue in the uh, sermon that he was already preparing in Thessalonians, but we had a discussion in Thessalonians about um, the passages that uh, Luis was speaking and somebody brought up this issue of the, what, what the Bible calls the perseverance of the saints, the issue of the perseverance of the saints. And so I told Luis, I think I'm going to... Uh, address that on Sunday. When, when I was in high school, I didn't play football. I went out in August for two weeks and I went to the practices, but at the end of August, you know, the coach was a young, arrogant guy and I was a young, arrogant guy. It wasn't a good fit. I said, no way. My dad doesn't talk to me like that. I'm not going to let someone else do it. So I quit. So the only other thing you can do at that time is run cross country. So I ran cross country. And uh, it's interesting to run cross country. I don't know, do do the kids that do it these days, do they let them wear the earbuds? Because we didn't have that. We ran and the only voice in your head was the one telling you to quit. You know, kept telling you, why are you doing this? You need to stop. This is not pleasant, it's painful, and you have still a long way to go. And you still can't quit because you're on a team and you go and it's developing perseverance. It was easier the second year I ran because the first year you don't know where the thing ends. You know, you start running and you're following other guys and you follow them until you finally get to a place where you see people running across, okay, that's where it ends. And and you don't have an idea of that because you're going to different schools and they lay out these tracks and you just have no idea. But the second year when I went and I was running, I, could, I knew, you know, okay, this is how this track goes. So I could, in my brain, say, okay, this is one mile. It was three miles in those days. This is one mile, a little bit more, I'll be halfway. Okay, halfway, a little bit more, I'll be two miles. Okay, I got a mile left. And, and you're working your way and convincing yourself to finish this race. And it was always an issue. It was always a struggle for me. I never ran fast enough. The fast guys were running 16, 15 minutes. I was running 21, 22 minutes. So I was never fast enough to, for my running to count other than in my own uh, in performance. But I did develop uh, uh, the ability to run the race without having to convince my each, myself each time not to quit. And that's perseverance. And I, I bring that up because I think that it's important to recognize that when you're talking about perseverance, you're talking about the beginning of something and the end of something. And you want to be steadfast, be continuing until the end of something. And when we talk about our perseverance as Christians, we're talking about until we pass to be with the Lord or he comes back. So the psalmist says 70 years, maybe 80. Some of you are pushing that number. I I think in the faith, my faith is now 40 years old. Thereabouts, a little older. And so if I can go another couple, 20 years, 30 years. I told the retirement guys, I'll make it to 93. And they said, okay, we'll work it out that way. So after 93, you guys are going to have to support me. Um, but the idea of being faithful unto that time is the idea that's the perseverance that we need to be mindful of. And, and there are verses, there's Jesus telling the, the um, disciples, when he's talking about the tribulation and the end times, and he says that it's going to be really, really bad, and only those who endure to the end will be saved. It doesn't say that. He actually says, those who endure to the end will be saved. And so the question is, well, 
are they saved because they endure to the end? But when I misspoke, I actually said it more of a way that it would be biblically accurate. Only those who endure to the end will be saved. The recognition is, is that this is evidence of their salvation, that they endure to the end. And so Christians are experiencing a, the revelation of their faithfulness and the genuineness of their, their faithfulness as they live this Christian life and they continue to endure through various trials, which are evidences of the genuineness of their faith. And I want to talk about that, but there's a, there, there's a, a discussion that happens after you confirm, because you and I know, the passage that spake, if you, if you endure to the end, and those passages are real, and they, they require a conversation, but we also know that, like in Romans it says, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, nothing. And it goes through a list that encompasses everything, past, present, future. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And Jesus told the disciples that the, those his sheep are in his father's hand and no one can take them out of the father's hand. And we understood when we talk about salvation is that this is something that God does. You didn't save yourself. You can't save yourself. Salvation is something that God does to someone. And when God does it, he does it right. And he claims them as his own and he's not going to undo that. This is a, a, a biblical truth of the idea of once saved, always saved. But there is a discussion that happens. When we're asked, like the Apostle Paul, to examine yourself and see if you be of the faith. And so it's necessary for us to look at this in that, and as I was preparing to, to have this discussion and look at these truths, that's where we ended up in this uh, I think in, in Haggai, the, the, one of the prophets we'll be reading next, he says twice, consider your ways. Consider your ways. And I think that this morning, that's really what we want to pay closer attention to, is to consider our ways. There is a representation of this perseverance that should be reflected uh, by the scriptures in our lives. And if that's not true, then considering a way is important. James says to count it all joy when you encounter various trials. So you, the testing of your faith produces endurance. The testing of your faith, if your faith is from God, doesn't create your faith. It tests it and shows it to be true. If you test gold, if gold could think, gold would say, Bring it on. Test me. I'm gold. What, what test do you have? Because when you test me, I will prove that I am gold. There's no problem here. That's the idea of the testing of our faith demonstrates the reality of our faith. It does also cause our faith, faith to grow. Remember, uh, when I preached to you a couple times ago, we were talking about faith, the, that Stephen was full of faith. His faith grew in relation to his knowledge of the truth about God. And so our faith is created by God within us, and it establishes our relationship with him, and then it grows as we're sanctified and growing to know him better. But it's tested. It's tested to prove that it's real. And you, you in this room are testaments of that, same, of, of that event. You're still here. 
Some of you have had experiences in your life that have been tragic and horrible and difficult. And, and like we're studying in Ecclesiastes, when we go to ask God, why did this have to happen? Why is this happening to me? Why has this happened to the, somebody I love? And, and there's no good explanation. And you're here singing these songs and worshiping God. What is that? But the passing of that test, you're moving from that place of, I can only depend on God, and even when I don't understand what he's doing, I'm still faithful in following, worshiping God. That's how we pass that test, and the Bible teaches that he brings us through each one of those events until the end. Only God brings you through that event. It is God who does that. You know people who have experienced difficulties and they're not here anymore. And they've given up on God. He didn't give them what he w- they were asking for. And their faith wasn't genuine. John says they were with us, but they weren't really of us. They went out from us. And we know they weren't of us because they didn't come back. Some go out and they come back. And their faith is real and God proves it. And so the, those who endure to the end are the ones who will be saved, or are the ones who are saved. The examining of ourselves is really where I wanted to spend more time to question, how do I know? How do I know then that this is true? Well, the sustaining of your faith will be evident in the fact that you're here, but you can be here and not have a godly faith. You know, I'm reading through Jeremiah right now, and Jeremiah is telling the people, you guys, I'm warning you. Listen to me. God has spoken to me. Tragedy is coming. We are going to be destroyed. There's going to be a siege on our city. We're going to be so hungry, we're going to eat each other. It is going to be the worst devastation that you can imagine. Please listen to me. We have to change who we are and what we're doing or this is going to come upon us. The whole temple and all of the city is going to be destroyed and we're going to be taken from this place into exile. Listen to me. That's what's going to happen. Jeremiah kept repeating that. And the people just looked at him like he was some kind of strange person because they didn't understand. Why is he saying this? We're fine. We're worshiping God. We have all we need. Why? And then he keeps saying it. They took him and they put him in the stocks. Punish this guy. You know, all he is is trouble. And making life difficult for us because of all this nonsense that he keeps speaking. They felt very comfortable in who they were and how they were honoring God. And Jeremiah kept preaching to them and keep preaching to them. And ultimately, they were taken into exile. For 70 years, right? And they had to persevere for 70 years. Some of them died in Babylon. Some of them persevered for 70 years. It's not a lot of to ask 70 years. That's, that's what we're asked to do. And I, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say at the very end of this message. Because I want you to remember this. This is... What I'm hoping for, I was talking to Jess before the sermon and I told him, this was a message I really needed to hear. You know, this one, I don't, it may, hopefully it helps you, but it definitely has challenged me. 
But I'm hoping you get to a place where, right now, I'm blessed. I have two grand girls that live next door to me. And so they need to walk down their driveway, cross next to the fence, and then they come into my garage where I'm in the garage working. And when Jade comes into the garage, she always asks the same question. Grandpa, what are you doing? I would like for my answer to be to her and anyone who else asked me that question in any given moment, I'm doing that which the Lord would have me do. I'm doing that which the Lord would have me do. I belong to the Lord. He is my Lord. And I'm doing that which the Lord would have me do. And, and if I'm at work, or which for those of you who work, if I'm in the garage, if I'm here at church, if I'm doing whatever it is that I'm doing, playing, napping, I need to be able to say that I'm doing it because this is what God would have me to do. That challenges me, brothers and sisters. And so that's what I want to look at and get to that place. And I found some scriptures I think will be very helpful for you and for me to be more reflective of that truth. First, I want to look at, in 1 Peter chapter 1, there is a description of Christians who were actually being persecuted, Christians who were struggling because of the difficulties in their lives. We've studied this book uh, years ago, and uh, the studies are online, but I just want to read from, from the first chapter of 1 Peter, chapter, starting at verse 3. Read this and hear this as a description of the people he's writing to. Christian people. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He caused us to be born again. This is a work that he did. To obtain the inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Sounds like perseverance, right? Sounds like endurance. Sounds like something that is kept. You who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. You who have been saved will be saved, and it'll be demonstrated to anyone who was willing to look that you are saved. This is something that God did. A reminder that you can know how to be saved. You hear it here all the time. It is a faith that comes in an acknowledgement of my own sin and unworthiness to God, that God makes me aware of my sinfulness, and then he reminds me that he has made a way for me to be worthy of him, and that is through the finished work of Christ. And so I receive the, I ask for and receive the forgiveness that God gives me through Christ, and I am born again and belong to him from now on into eternity, a finished work. You can know that truth and not be saved. Knowing that truth does not save you. Knowing that truth is good information, but it won't save you. What has to happen is a regeneration by the Holy Spirit. You can't do that. Jesus said, you must be born again. When the first time you were born, how involved were you in that? That wasn't your call. (laughs) 
you always say, kids will argue, well, I didn't ask to be born. It's true. None of us asked to be born. We weren't involved in that decision. And so Jesus used that same example. You must be born again. That's not of you either. That's of the Holy Spirit. He has to regenerate you. And when the Holy Spirit regenerates you, you are born again. And as I've said in the past, you are made to have faith in God in a way that you can't undo it. I cannot unbelieve that Jesus was here, lived perfectly, died and rose again from the dead for my sins. I can't unbelieve that. I can live in a way that doesn't represent that in sin and God will bring me back, but I can't unbelieve it. I have a faith that God has given me that makes that sure and certain. This is true. I say this for myself and I say this to you. That is how you're saved is seeking God and his spirit regenerates you. And you are not the same. And you will never be the same because of what he's done. Protected until the last time, verse five. And then verse six says, now this is the description of the people who have experienced this. In this, you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while it is necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith, tested, will shown to be true to the honor and glory of God. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. I, I'm, I'm appreciating this line in verse 8 from Peter. In him you greatly rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. I always tell people when you're memorizing the scripture, take the word out and put it back. Look how many of these words. You could say in him you have joy or you rejoice. That's not enough. You greatly rejoice. That sounds good. No, you greatly rejoice with joy. That sounds good. That's not enough. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. I'm wondering how many of us, if someone were to say, oh, do you know that guy? Oh, yeah. That guy is like always rejoicing with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's him. As Christians, you know, is that who we are? These joyful human beings who know that God has saved us and he will save us and, and walk in that newness of life and in that joy. I think we have it. I think it's not as evident in us. And I think that if you look at the beginning there, you'll see the difference for the passion of that is in the first part of it. Although you have not seen him, you love him. That, I think, is the difference. That we love him. The, the evidence of the passion of the joy that is expressed in our lives was directly related to our relationship with him and how we love him. Uh, Luis mentioned last week when he was preaching that you have a relationship where you're desiring to please him. You want to please him. And in desiring to please him, you have this relationship of love with him that produces a passion for him and a, and a joy for him that is, is wanting 
in our lives, in my life, obviously can be expressed much more effectively. This desire to please God translates into actions. And I would offer you today that the absence of these actions is directly related to the absence of the passion. The absence of these actions that are desiring to please God are impacting the passion we demonstrate for God and and the joy that he is intending for us to have. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I've known many of you for many years, and we discuss our, gris- our growth and our Christian uh, desire to be more like Christ. And I think that we spend a whole lot of time on the denying yourself part. Yeah? Deny yourself, deny yourself. And if all you do is try to deny yourself, it's a struggle that is unending. But deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Please me. That's the the picture in the scriptures. You can't stay with this desire. I want to stop doing these things. I want to stop living these kinds of lives. I I, want to do this differently than I. And if all I am is doing that, I'm going to stay there forever. The idea of growth and, and loving God is deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. It's that going forward in in the desire to please him that is missing in that growth. And so, I would put it to you this way. If you're not listening, listen now. If you want to be more like Christ, if you want to be more like Christ, you're going to have to be different than you are. If you want to be more like Christ, you're going to have to be a lot different than you are. If you're going to be a lot different than you are, you're going to have to make choices different than the ones you're making now. Is any of that not true? If you want to be more like Christ, you're going to have to be, I'm going to have to be different than I am. Therein lies a big problem, right? Because we're pretty happy with who we are. You know, we we work, for those of us who are older, we've worked long and hard to get here. We've experienced a lot of different things. And we've become who we are and we defend who we are. We promote who we are. Meet us during the bread time and tell, we'll tell you something special about ourselves. We'll give you our opinion because our opinion matters. Rather than wanting to change who we are, we defend who we are. And then we pamper who we are. I'm confessing to you. I'm that way as well. It is a deceitful thing for us to look at ourselves, look around, because you can look around and you'll always find someone doing worse than you. You'll always find a neighbor who's not as kind as you are. You'll always find a a brother or sister who is less faithful than you are. You'll always... Paul, when he wrote to the Galatians, he says, but each one must examine his own work and then 
he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not regard to another. I think that's amazing because you, you, you understand that what he's saying is when you start to look, when I preach this sermon, I'm not going to tell you, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. And you, God already told you. You already know. You know the change of decisions that you need to make in order to be more like Christ. And that you will have to be different than you are. We get fearful of being different. I, I, I admit it. You know, and some of you, I, I, well, you know, you might think of, well, that guy's more holy and, and I see what he's like and I really don't like what he's like. I don't want to be like him. But that's not what the call is. The call is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You more godly than you are. In the uniqueness that is you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You, more like Jesus than you are. That's the desire, that's the goal, that's what we're looking to be. But we have to be able to abandon who we are. I'm not that special and neither are you. I'm blessed by you. I'm blessed by your graciousness. I'm blessed by your kindness. But as it says in the Thessalonians over and over again, you're doing great, do better. You're doing well, excel more. How we do that is have to move from who we are to who we can be in Christ. And that means we have to make choices different than the ones we're making. What choices do we make that maintain who we are versus choices that will challenge us to be more like Christ, to challenge us to be more dependent on Christ. If you're comfortable with how you are and this message doesn't touch you and you think, I, I'm okay, God saved me and I don't really need to change, I don't even need to be more like Jesus, I would say that examines test you're taking, you're failing it. Because the Spirit of God won't be content to leave you as you are. He will work within you and say, that man is right. He's not always right, but what he's saying to you right now is correct. You need to be more like Jesus, and you need to change, and you need to do things differently than you normally do them in order to be more like me. You're going to have to live differently than you live now. Choices will have to demonstrate a heart that is willing to change. Don't fail that test. If you fail that test, then you're needing to be saved. You need to ask God to save you. On the subject of tests, before I forget, we have a young man, Aaron, who took his law test for the bar exam, his first time taking it, and as usual, no, not as usual, he actually passed it. So Aaron passed his bar exam. If you are pressing onward to the upward call of God, as Paul describes in Philippians, I found a passage in Psalms, and I want you to turn there, Psalm 119. It's the section called Heth, H-E-T-H, which starts at verse 57. Psalm 119, starting at verse 57. These are all eight verses each, and they speak to the word of God. And I just found this when I was looking at this consider your ways discussion. And I think this is so helpful. You should mark it in your Bible and come back to it during the week. 
And let this be a recipe for you and me to be people who can say when asked, what are you doing? I'm doing that which God would have me to do. It starts with, in chapter 119 Psalm, verse 57. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. This is common throughout the Psalms. My inheritance, my cup. The Lord is what I have been given. And there's a song that we sing, Eric, called All I Have is Christ. That's the idea is what else would you need? The Lord is my portion. I have been given Christ. And, and if I have Christ and that is my portion, nothing else should appeal to me. There's no bargain that can be made. If the serpent brings a piece of fruit to me and says this will make you wise and etc. and take this fruit, I just need to say to him, no. The Lord is my portion. I already have my portion. If the world would offer you sustenance and and wealth and uh, popularity and things that the world deems important, you say, no, I don't need that. The Lord is my portion. I have all I need. And he is all you need. Uh, your, Your life, for you young people, it's really hard for you to understand this, but it's gone like that. You know, it's a vapor, the Bible calls it. But eternity, you can't describe how long eternity is. It's undescribable. And that's how long we're either with God, glorifying Him, or in hell, recognizing that we should have glorified Him. This is just a moment. And the Lord is my portion is the truth that that's been taken care of. My salvation has been taken care of. What happens here while I'm working on the planet trying to communicate the truth of God isn't going to impact my eternity other than if I do it well, he'll reward that. But it is already a lock. Jesus said, don't be afraid of man who kills you and after that has nothing more they can do to you. No, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear the one who after he kills you has authority to cast you into hell. Fear him. Fear him. This God who has already established that he's not going to cast me into hell and that's a done deal and that's on him is my portion. I'm done. I'm finished. I've accomplished. Derek was talking this morning in class about what is it that you're missing in your life so that you could be satisfied and my struggle in that is I have more of an issue of I'm satisfied. And there's a sense where I don't need anything. I'm satisfied. But that's dangerous too because if I'm satisfied, I may be satisfied with who I am rather than who I can be. But the Lord is my portion. That salvation experience is my starting place. And the next part of it, he says, I have promised to keep your words. I have promised to keep your words or I promise to keep your words. Either way, the Lordship of Christ and salvation is the way that I can know you and follow you and be true to you is all been laid out for me in this book. And so I promise to make my life a reflection of this. And if I make my life a reflection of this, even if for the time being I have trials and difficulties, I will be a man who greatly rejoices with a joy inexpressible and full of glory because I have 
contributing your words to my actions and my choices. I promise to keep your words. Verse 58, I sought your favor with all my heart. I sought your favor. I desired to please you. We have a theme in the scriptures, do we? It's there all the time. I sought your favor with all my heart. My desire is to please you. The way to please you has been laid out for me in your scriptures, and so if I promise to keep your word, I'm doing it in a way that pleases you. That's my desire. I want to please you. And then he says, be gracious to me according to your word, or your blessing according to who you are. The, the graciousness of God, if you were to say be gracious to me, that's a good thing. But when God is gracious, he's true to himself. He's gracious according to his word, okay? So if God is gracious according to his word, for example, you, in all likelihood, he's not giving me a Lamborghini. I'm not even sure I would want one. They heard they're nice, but I'll take the motorcycle. <laughs> but in, according to his word, he's going to give me stewardship over that which is useful in the work that he's given me. And until he gives me some work that requires a Lamborghini, I don't expect to get one because he's gracious to me according to his word. What's he doing? He's supplying what I need in order to do everything, as the scripture says. Be gracious to me according to your word. Verse 59, I considered my ways. There it is. I considered my ways. I took a look. That's why we come together, brothers and sisters, on a Sunday morning and, and our Bible studies and our FLG time is to help us consider our ways. Take a look. There's a danger in the my of consider my ways. Because if they are my ways, then likely they're going to support me. And there's a selfishness within us that hasn't been removed in our salvation experience that is still with us and will be, us, be with us until we're glorified. And it's dangerous. I considered my ways. God says it more than once, many times, and through the prophets all the time, consider your ways. Jesus is trying to appeal to the Pharisees and the religious people of the time, consider your ways. Think about the choices you're making. Do they honestly reflect a heart that's desiring to please God? Or are they pleasing yourself? Consider your ways. Look what he says. I considered my ways and I turned my feet to your testimonies. Where my ways aren't aligned with your testimonies, with your truth, with your ways, I turn my feet to them. There was a transaction, a choice that's different. When, you, when I say you're making choices that maintain who you are, and if you want to be different than you, are, than you are in order to be more like Jesus, then you're going to choose differently. I considered my ways. Those are the choices that I'm making that are maintaining my life, and my life is the same today and yesterday and the day before. You know, we just don't have enough memorable days in our life, and part of that is because our choices are the same, and the days are the same, and they don't, there's no difference you want a difference, you have to make different choices. So you consider your ways, and then you turn to his testimonies. His choices for me will require of me to be obedient to him, to serve him. And you know what that looks like. It's loving one another and loving God. You know what it looks like, because he's laid it out for us, turning to his ways. That's the, I'm, 
taking up my cross and following him. And now I'm going to be different. I'm going to be more like Jesus. You'll, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. 60 is the verse for the day. 59, I considered my ways. 60, I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. Right now, right now, you don't need to wait to be more like Jesus. You need to do it right now, today. I'm doing that, which God would have me to do. I prayed unto God and I asked him. I gave him my life. I gave him my Sunday. I gave him my afternoon. I gave him this moment. What would you have me to do, Lord? I need to do it now without delay. I think we have designs in our lives to say, eventually I want to be more like Jesus. Eventually I want to be more godly. Eventually, and, and we get satisfied with that eventually, and then we stay who we are. This psalmist has the right idea. I hastened and I did not delay to keep your commandments. Now I made a decision that gives my choices representation of who you are. 61, the cords of the wicked have encircled me. This is the world we live in, folks. I mean, I shouldn't be, but I'm surprised at the level of wickedness that we're seeing around us. I'm surprised that, that it's coming so quickly. This lives and styles, it's supported by the people of this world that is just no other word but wicked. The devil is having a field day with us. And he has taken people and led them in a way that demonstrates their foolish, foolishness and their lack of an understanding of who God is. And that's all around us. All around us everywhere we go. And verse 61 says, they have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. I am being preserved by God to be faithful to his word in the midst of this. You are lights in a world, in a darkened generation, as it says in Philippians. I have not forgotten your law. I see what's going on. It's easy for them to be sinful. It's easy for them not to honor you. But I have not forgotten your law. Your law elevates itself above all of these decisions and establishes itself as truth. Jesus prayed that the disciples would be sanctified in truth. And look at verse 62. At midnight, I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. At midnight, that's when no one's looking. It's good for us to come together as a congregation and sing praises unto God. And the worship team does a really good job in leading us to do that. And I'm grateful for them. And it's, it, it's something that is a, 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 a pleasing aroma to God, is what the Bible says. And, it, and that's good. But here's a man who says, I'm going to get up and praise God at midnight. No one's watching. This is the integrity of a man who is with God. God is watching. No, I'm not doing this for anyone else to see. I want God and me to be together and him to know that I am grateful to him. Why? Because of your righteous ordinances. I don't have to guess on how to please God. I don't have to wonder on what's pleasing to God. He's laid it out for me. He's given it to me in a word that I can understand. 
in a way that pleases him. And so I'm grateful that he has given me his truth that tells me how it is that I came to know him and then how I can please him. And at midnight, I'll rise and give thanks to you because of this. The, the prophets of old always talked about these guys. They find a piece of wood. They cut it in half. They put half of it in the fire and they make their, their bread and their meat and they cook it on it. The other half, they form it into a man and they set it on a thing and they bow down and worship it. They're just stupid. And, and, and the prophets say, and, and God says, they don't even realize how stupid they are. One of it you're cooking and you're burning it and the other one you're worshiping it. This is where the world is. This is how they function. I would be like that if not for God. But he gave me his truth. He regenerated me and he gave me his truth so that I would not be like that. Praise be God. I need to thank him. And then verse 63, I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. That's a biblical church, a people who are committed to the truth of this book, and I am gathered and connected to them. We talk about church membership all the time, and it's important for us to recognize I'm the companion, I'm connected to, I am members with those who fear you and who honor your word. This is a requirement for this man to be faithful, and it is a joyful place to be amongst those who fear God, same as me. And then, finally, the earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. The earth is full. Where is God's loving kindness? After all this discussion and the cords of wicked have encircled me, where is God's loving kindness? Well, it's in God's people. If God gets a hold of you, he makes you love other Christians and love your enemies. That's what he has you do. When you're doing what God would have you to do, you're demonstrating the loving kindness of God. That's where it is most evident. That's his plan. That's how he functions. And then finally, the continuing work of God. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your word. If it's going to be the dictates of my life, it's just going to represent how I please you. If it's going to be that which causes me to grow and to be able to answer honestly as one who greatly rejoices with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, if that's going to be true about me, then I need to know this more. Know it more thoroughly. Understand it. Read it. Meditate on it. Let it be that which grasps you. I think if you set aside this, these eight verses for this week, come back to them, look at them, let them speak to you to help you say, I considered my ways and I turned to your testimonies. And I made choices that were different than the choices I normally make. You know, you, you, you make choices and you say, this is not a sinful thing. This is not an ungodly thing. But does it rise to the level of, if somebody asks you if you're doing it, you can say, this is what God would have me do. I have an hour right now. This is what God would have me do. That's why I'm doing it. That's walking in the spirit. That's living according to the word. I'm doing what God would have me do. That's what we're called to do. And I think 
if we help allow this scripture to work in us and give us the intention to recognize that who we are now is not who we want to be, who we can be in Christ, who we can be in Christ is going to be the result of changing in choices in those which are the things which God has called us to do. I am doing what God would have me to do. We'll just pray and be dismissed. Please stand with me. Heavenly Father, I personally want to ask your forgiveness for how often my energy is spent trying to preserve the person that I am, defending, promoting, comforting who I am. Whether the, rather than recognizing that your desire, your work in me is to make me more like your son. And for me to be more like Jesus, changes will have to occur. And Lord, I pray you would give me a heart that desires to be different than I am. Give me the courage to make choices that demonstrate that I am consumed by pleasing you, passionate about pleasing you, demonstrate the reality of a Christian who is connected to your word and through trials and through difficulties demonstrates that you were the one preserving me to be more and more like Christ. Keep me, Lord, from embracing the status quo, but being excited about a God who is willing to finish the work that you began in me. You encouraged the church of Ephesus to return to their first love, a passion for being like Christ. I pray for this congregation, for the visitors who are here who know you, that we would all take these truths to heart and be excited about the changes you can make if we're willing to pursue them and yield ourselves to you as you are the master and we are the clay. We thank you because you're willing and loving and capable to do just that. We pray in Christ's name, amen.